This is The Rational Perspective, and I'm Alec Hogg. And in this episode, a rare treat, an hour with South African icon Peter Dirk Ace. Last night, I was among 300 relocated South Africans at London's annual fundraising dinner for Africa Tikkun and its associated charities. It was a splendid black-tie affair whose theme in this 100th year since Madiba's birth was to honour 30 iconic South Africans. Each table of 10 was named after a national hero. Alongside Nelson Mandela were familiar names like Desmond Tutu, O.R. Tambo and Dr. Chris Barnard. And included on this elite list was Peter Dirk Ace, the iconoclastic actor, playwright, activist, raconteur, and political analyst from Cape Town. Unfortunately, Ace himself wasn't able to make the dinner. It was the last but two of his three-week run at the Soho Theatre at the other end of London, and he had to get himself prepared for an event which went on at the same time. But Seeing him being honoured in this way brought home to me just how special an afternoon I'd just had. Because earlier in the day I'd spent an hour with Peter Dirk Ace in the lounge of the Soho Hotel, just around the corner from the theatre where he is uh, giving his show. It's a convenient haven, he tells me, for his quiet time ahead of each performance. What transpired between us was a deeply personal, courageous, thoughtful and wickedly funny discourse. And as you'll hear, it ranges from Ace sharing his own creating process to his famous stage personality Evita Bezadenot's relationships with Madiba, Pukbota and others to some rather outspoken views, the activist was speaking here, on HIV-AIDS. Looking ahead at South Africa, personalities like Malema, Ramaphosa, and the country's world-famous comic export, Trevor Noah. Thinking about the interview afterwards, it dawned on me that its timing was just about perfect. Ace is now 72, but still learning and improving. So he's at the peak of his intellectual powers, but also beyond the point where he has to count his words. Also, putting together a 90-minute biographical show in London at a top theatre, would have also been a deeply reflective process, unearthing much new material from his early years. Plus, as I've found with South Africans in London, there's something about being outside their own borders that frees up discourse in ways that we don't really hear back home. But as you're going to hear in this extraordinary interview, even though admitting it's tough for his white mouth to now be heard by a black ear, Peter Dirk Ace hasn't lost his knack of getting fellow South Africans to ask uncomfortable questions of themselves. In so doing, opening eyes. You've got a show on here in London, once again a one-man show. Have you ever done any theatre outside of just yourself? 
I've always done theatre outside myself. I've always hidden behind costumes and makeup and eyelashes and lipstick and working fingers and buttas and all those creatures. And now this is the very first time that I'm unplugged, unpowdered and unplugged. And it has been a completely shockingly exciting experience. I never thought I'd do it. Unplugged? Meaning that there's nothing there. There's nothing. There's no, there's no set. There's no uh, um, flag. There's no reality of politics. There's just me sitting on a bar stool and telling you a story. Wearing black. Wearing black. But I started just going into black when I was about in my 20s because I didn't. I've, I do color on stage and I keep black for me. Yeah. And so that. So this is you. It, it is me. Stage. Yes, it's me. It's me. And it's. It's. Uh, extraordinarily uh, they asked me to do this at the Graham Sound Festival two years ago they said do something you've never done before and I thought oh my god what's that I've never had a baby on stage I'll try and do that and so I thought let me just tell a story and I took other sketches and put something together and suddenly my father stepped into the picture I never thought I'd write about him we didn't get on at all and there was my dad and then Sonny Abada who was our maid in Pinelands my Cape Flats mother. Suddenly these two characters just took my life and bounced the ball around and I suddenly had this story to tell uh, which took me from my small time when I was a boy soprano voice uh, uh, right through my family, my grandmother, my father's mother, Omar Ace. Her cousin was Dr. D.F. Milan, the first apartheid prime minister. So we had an interesting moral high ground to, to, to be on. Uh, my mother being German, Jewish. We only found out she was Jewish after she was dead. So I was a graduate from the University of Denial my whole life. And of course, fear of even asking questions. And when my father died, I just, the first thing I thought was, why didn't I ask him more about his life? I know more about Sophia Loren's life than my own family. Mm -hmm. And that's all happened and developed since two years ago. This has sort of really become a very interesting opera. I know, opera. I mean, I call it Queen Lear because, I mean, once I start, that's a 90-minute run down a hill with full handbags. Cathartic? Oh, yeah. Cathartic very much in, in the actor who me, the actor, can actually manage to do that. That's cathartic for me. The fact that I, as a, as a human being, can actually wait till the 72nd year to actually do this is strange. I mean, could I have done this when I was 50? No, I couldn't. You know, because now I really feel the disease to please has been cured. The audition is over. Mm. I mean, if people don't like what I do, well, Hancock, it doesn't matter, <laughs> really, truly. I say, go and see a movie. There's lots of Marvel comics that can be entertained. But I know I have things to say, and this is what I have to say. You're a great inspiration for many people, not just from your activism, but for, for the fact that you seem to be getting better, enthusiastic, every day. You wake up in the morning. Do you look forward to life? Are you, is your art improving? Oh, what a loaded question. Um, well, first of all, optimism. I'm a terminal optimist purely because I'm in the theater. You have to. Be an optimist. I mean, all the things that we treasure from Les Mis to Shakespeare started probably at a table with a glass of beer. What are we going to do? Let's do a musical about storming the barricades in the, in, in the, in the, in the 1880s. Uh -huh. They did it. Optimism. Believe it. It's going to work. So I've always had this wonderful balance of 49% anger, 51% entertainment. I want people to have a good time. I want to fight fear with the F word, fun. <coughs> but really, very little of what I do is actually funny. 
it's because it's humor, not comedy. Comedy is the joke, which I really envy. I can't, I'm not good at jokes. But humor is very personal. It's like your fingerprint. Everybody has a different reaction to their fear. You walk into a room, and there's somebody behind the door, and they go boo, and you scratch your door, and you say, Whoa, what? and it's somebody you know, and you go, ha ha, not ha ha funny, ha ha. I know who you are. I know my fear. I know who you are. And I think through my development, through thanks to the very, oh, I must be careful not to call them stupid because they were not stupid. Apartheid was not because people were stupid. It's because we were stupid to allow them to get so far. But they forced me to reinvent communication, forced me to reinvent a survival, to take anarchy as my, as my carnation on my blouse so that it was political anarchy, sexual anarchy. I mean, who's on stage now? Evita Poseidon. Evita Poseidon. Peter Togres is a communist, but Evita is a member of the National Party. Who do we lock up? Um, and now that I can look back and actually answer, I couldn't have answered this question 20 years ago, but now that I've actually found out what actually makes sense to me, I think my work is improving because I am not frightened as I was for so long. Um, because it was very seldom that somebody was on my side. You were frightened? If I think about during the apartheid era, you were the last person I would have thought was frightened. You were out there saying it as it was, wagging fingers, P.W. Boerter style. I wasn't frightened of the politics. I was frightened of the, the quality of the work on that stage. And that's my life. Uh, that is really, truly the like and dislike of my life. Um, I'm s I feel the safest in the theater when I, when I start do a play or a show. I'm, I'm in two hours before the time. I'm in the dressing room. I've got nothing to do, but I'm there. I'm safe. I'm in charge. I know everything about where I am. If I sit at home waiting to go to the theater, I want to run away. I can understand Marilyn Monroe for running away and not doing the... because I am frightened. Can I do it? Can I do it? Am I going to be able to do it? Can I remember a bit? Cuck, cuck, cuck. Nonsense. I get cross when I even talk about it. Because the moment I'm at the theater, I'm calm. I'm fine. And there isn't a script. You, oh, you, you there is. There's always a script. There's always a structure. Mainly more, structure. Than a, more than a script. Meaning. It's the most important thing. Once you know the meaning, you can say what you want to say. It might not be the words written on paper, but the meaning is there. People always say to me, how do you remember these words? Oh, well, I never think of meaning, the words. Uh, I need to actually sometimes learn words of blah, blah that politicians now use. Collateral damage I have to use. I want to say the death of children. We have now tarted up such tragedy with blah, blah. Um, Brexit, blah, blah. What does that mean? It's the end of a country. They have to reinvent a new country. Can they do that in the next 10 months? Um, and of course, democracy in South Africa. Well, is it the mock in democracy and the con in reconciliation? Um, Zuma was the most terrible thing that has happened to South Africa since Favurt. I want to get into that in a moment, but your creative process. Mm. How does that work? Looking at your website, you've got so many plays that you've made available to everybody. At some point in time, you must have gone through some kind of a process that others can learn from. Okay, that's interesting also. Let me think now. I tell you, I start with titles. I always, when a, when a title comes, I write it down. I might not use it for 10 years. In fact, the show I'm doing now in South Africa is called When in Doubt, Say Darling. And I wrote that down in 1968 when I was working for KPAB in Cape Town as, a, as an assistant PR for English drama. And Toby Kushlik was there doing a play. And I was... Let Peter Ace look after Toby Kuslik. I mean, she, she ate me for breakfast, but she was a great doyen diva. 
and said, darling, darling, this, and darling, that, and darling, this. And when I eventually, after a very, very, I think, a very fruitful relationship with her, me being the gopher, I mean, I did my job bloody well. And she was pleased. She said, darling, darling, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. Take me to the airport. So we got to the airport. I said, you know, Mrs. Kutlik, when you write your autobiography, you should call, call it, when in doubt, say darling. She didn't get it. She, didn't. she said, what? I don't understand it, but she didn't get it. So this has taken me till now to use it as a title. So the echo of a noise was also, it came to me, when a, the echo of a noise. I thought, what does it mean? Am I the echo of a noise from the past? Yes. Possible? Has been? Yes. Or am I the echo of a noise reinventing itself for the future? Also possible. Or is the echo of the noise, the noise of laughter when it was illegal to laugh? Also possible. So once I somehow analyze where that comes from, it somehow gives me a tune. Is it a jazz tune, a classical tune, a dirge? or a And that's where it starts. Music has got a lot to do with it as well. Um, and especially this, oh yeah, family. especially in, in this monologue, I mean, it's all about music. Mozart was my best friend. Um, I grew up with Schumann, Schubert, Scarlatti, Brahms. I sang boys soprano in a choir. Uh, I sang for weddings. I've got a guinea. One pound, one shilling. Pa kept the pound and I got the shilling. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it's, so the process is, and again, as again, as, as I've grown my second skin of confidence, and young people say to me, how do I do it? How do I do what you do? I said, the first thing you do is you just put your finger down your throat and you vomit out what you want to say. Yes, but, but what about, you know, the publisher? What about the theater? I said, it's got nothing to do with anything. Writing is the most private thing in the world. You can write war and peace and burn it, and nobody will know. And the trouble is we show it to people too soon. We show the, we open our womb of imagination and show the little embryo to people too soon, and they say, oh, God, darling, what's that? Dead. So I've also learned that my failures, which I treasure, I mean, I love my success. It's fabulous, but it goes into a box. But the failures, you think, why the hell did that not work? And it goes on. There were plays that didn't work, and I still think about them 40 years later. And it's usually because I listened to advice and that I took shortcuts and that I did not follow my instinct. I now blindly follow my instinct, knowing I won't understand it, but it will always be right. Mozart, your best friend. Have you seen Mozart in the jungle? I have. I recorded it, and I watched it with great interest. Um, Can you relate to him? Regina? No, no, not at all. Um, not at all. No, it's a very, very specific commercial story with that very interesting young man being the conductor and behaving very unconductorish, which I loved, all his little earrings and funny little things in his hair. But I love the story because, yes, Mozart in the jungle in New York, I, I thought originally, it, oh, is this about playing Mozart in the jungle? Because I had a friend who introduced me to the most wonderful and I can't remember her name, and she was quite old, so she's obviously not alive anymore. And she explored the Amazonian jungle. This was her job, and she was, had just they'd done a documentary about her, which they showed at the film school, London Film School. And, and, and her story was she met these tribes, and this very specific tribe, who had never seen a white woman before. She had brought music. She'd brought a, a, a wind-up record player, and she had Mozart and other music. And she played other music, and nobody took any notice. And then one day she put on Mozart Requiem, very specifically that. And the music came out of this box and the people stopped doing what they were doing and they didn't look, they, they looked up. They looked up. What did that mean? Was that music of the gods? Had they heard it before? 
was it possible that somebody had come down with that you know so it was uh, so that also music is so important for me to create the atmosphere of what I'm writing and what I'm doing do you listen to Mozart when you write I listen to everybody when I write I listen to everybody I love Scott Weil I love mo modern music. I, I have to choose the right modern music because some of it is noise. Uh, hip hop. I'm a huge fan of hip hop and 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 rap because everybody says, "Oh, they're drunk." Oh, darling, you want to be drunk and do rap and remember those words at that <laughs> speed? Are you mad? It is the ultimate dignity and the ultimate discipline. Um, of course, there's crap as well. Of course, there's crap everywhere. But you've just got to make sure that you find the right thing because crap is usually copies of copies of copies. But the original. And I say this to the kids who I go to drama departments and speak to the kids. I love it because I'm just so interested in their interest. And I say, I started by saying, um, who here wants to be an, an actor? And all the hands made me go up. And I say to them, you know what? The last thing we need is another fucking actor. But if you are going to be original, you will survive through the ages. Don't copy. Be inspired. Steal blind. Steal. Make it yours and then cut by half and lose 50% and speak another language and wear another costume and you'll, have, you'll be Lady Gaga. She didn't copy Madonna. Madonna didn't copy... Uh, so. It's the original. Stalin tweaked? Tweak. Yes, 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 of course. I mean, what I do, I've seen, I saw Marlene Dietrich alone on stage. I thought I want to do that. I've seen many people do these extraordinary things on their own and, and survive and, and be entertaining. And, but it takes time. It, you know, everybody thinks it's going to happen in 10 minutes. Um, and then I say to the, the kids as well, you know, that, that is the thing. Just work. It's all about work. You've got to get up early. You've got to be relatively sober because the next day could be the last day of your life. If you make a mistake, you can't make mistakes. You can do things wrong, but you have to find out how to do them right. And don't take shortcuts. You know, you'll be a success for 10 minutes and then you'll disappear. And that's why failure is still something that I wish we could get rid of that word. You know, you've got to fail in order to succeed. You can't just succeed, which everybody's doing now. Mm. Quickie, boom, oh my gosh, where are you tomorrow? I don't know, can't remember your name. Yeah. Just to go back into South Africa, specifically South Africa, now, and, uh, and a whole, well, generations watched you in awe that you could, A, put on a dress, That's second, it. secondly, mm. uh, lampoon some pretty seriously uh, scary people mm. and make us laugh through the darkest times. Where did all of that, where did Dame Edna in Australia, was she the inspiration perhaps for a start of a video? A great inspiration was Danny LaRue, who did some great drag. I mean, drag, I grew up thinking everything was drag, and I have a great respect for it, but it's not what I do. Um, drag is a career, and it doesn't stop on stage. You will see the same character with the eyelashes having a drink with you in the bar, so it's a lifestyle. I do Evita because she's a character. I mean, if, if I did a tree, would you call me a forest? You know what I mean? It's a, um, but it is... Dame Edna also was... It wasn't Dame Edna that inspired me. Barry Humphreys was the inspiration. This brilliant man. And his, his early work from the 50s when he was... When Edna was an... With a brown cock wig and a hat on. And with, you know, looked like any sort of lady from Mowbray. White lady. Afrikaans lady from, from Goodwood. <laughs> and I just was so inspired by his anger, but never his preaching. 
and uh, the fact that he did some very risky things like that diplomat with, with a banana down his trousers in the front of him, rude, rude, rude. And of course, Edna, who was this, just this monstrous suburban beast. And then when Evita happened, I think she maybe started as a suburban beast with that echo of Barry's work. But then Evita became that sort of scorpion in politics um, and uh, developed also through the challenge of people saying, what is she going to do about that? What is she going to do about that? Does she have a family? What do they think? And that's the whole Baroque reality of Evita was built around that. And, of course, today she can she can rule a country because she's got an answer for everything. Um, and that's why she's the only one I've got left, actually, now. Because I find it very, very challenging to criticize my government because I have a white mouth and that is a black ear. And I do not want to cross that line of racism because that is the answer to anything somebody doesn't agree with. Ah, you're a racist. Mm. But Evita's beyond that. She sort of does, first of all, she doesn't exist. Doesn't mean she's not real, but she doesn't exist. She's a member of the ANC. She cooks for reconciliation. Uh, and she has that inside or echo of opinion coming from there and not from opposition. She's useless in opposition. And I think opposition is a very unfortunate word because I'd rather talk about alternative to democracy, not opposition to democracy. Um, and so it's... Today, again, again, to answer a previous question about where I'm going, I mean, this, the strange quicksand we find ourselves in now... The, the, the minefield of hashtags and hate speech is a huge challenge for me mm. because really, truly, there are things I can't do. I was even challenged last year. I had a whole group of born freeze now in their 20s with a major irony bypass. Don't get the joke at all. And said to me, you can't do you, Zuma. I said, why do I do them so badly? They said, no, you're white. I said, no, I'm a performer. That's my job. No, you, no, no, can't do it. It's racist. And soon I won't be able to do women because of Hashtag me too. Okay, okay, I'll cross that bra when I get to it. Um, but now I do, Jacob Zuma in my next show, having done P.W. Buerta, um, because it's like, I have to. He's my bread and Buerta. You know, the old generation wanted the new generation to say, what the fuck is that all about? Mm. But then I said to the audience, you know, I want to do presidents. Obviously, they're the cherry on the cake, but I was told that it's politically incorrect. So I'll tell you what, I don't want another hashtag. I will ask P.W. Buerta to do his impersonation of Jacob Zuma. Far better. Much more dangerous. So, again, one must just, you can always lift the lid and see where there is something to, to play with. How do you feel when you're doing something like this? You know it's edgy. You know you're pushing the envelope. When people stand up and leave. How do you feel about those few in the audience, that minority who are so outraged that they can't watch anymore? Well, the, the people that left, the few people that left in the last four years are those six students from Witz who walked out on having seen the first half of my, my first half of the show and walked out loudly uh, muttering rude words. Fuck you, fuck you, whatever. Um, and um, they waited. They were in the foyer. They were drinking at the bar. And I saw them afterwards. And I said, you know, I'll tell you something. First of all, I gave you comps. And you walked out. So you owe me money. Okay? Number one. Number two, let's talk. And they said, we're not talking to a racist. And they walk away. And I thought, oh, lazy children. You know, what a pity. It would have been a lovely conversation. I want to know what they dislike. Okay? That's part of it. That's part of it. But very few people leave. Some people... Some people stay. I mean, I do a show without an interval, and I go back to the dressing room after having been in the foyer talking to friends, and there are people waiting for the second half. And I said, no, it's over. Oh, <laughs> they're so disappointed. It's, um, 
I love my audience. I am totally committed to my audience. Every performance is my last performance because that's the performance that I've got to be the best ever. And then tomorrow I, oh, I've got another one tonight. I've got to be the best ever. And that's kept me young. I mean, I'm 72, but I don't feel it. I sometimes feel 105. Um, Do you have a muse? Are you connected? You, you said earlier inspired. Do you feel when you're on stage that is it you or is it something else? I think it's the stage manager in me. I was trained as a stage manager because at drama school they said to me, oh, darling, you haven't got talent, you can't act. Okay. I believed older people in those days. So I'm a trained stage manager, which was the best, best background to my work I could have asked for because I know how to do everything. I know how to light. I know how to do everything. I understand the whole structure. I understand delivery and performance. Great. I'm glad I can do that as well. And having then been at film school for four years and then have gone to the space theater for three years was just the greatest training in the world. So I've had really f enormous amount of inspiration and muse. I had a whole chorus line of, of inspirations um, and memories of great things I've seen, of course, great performances I've seen. Um, and uh, that I need. I need to see other people's courage because when I really watch them and I enjoy them, I believe that this is the first time they've said those words. What about a young man like Trevor Noah? When he gets on the stage, he's almost a, a younger version of you. He, he's also pushing the envelope. He, uh, he, he, he has a black mouth, though, I suppose, which is better, I'm, I'm better learn to a black ear. I'm such a fan of his. I, I'm so proud of him. I've just, I watched him again this morning. Um, I just keep with him all the time. I, I record his show every day, and then I get it, and I look at it, and he's not lost who he is. He is still an immigrant. He is still a Barack Obama beige. Um, he can. I can't. I can't. I know I can't. Of course I can. I don't want to be Leon Schuster, with respect, because Leon Schuster, who is so overtly racist with what he does, makes millions because he has a black audience. Black people have got a great sense of humor. I wish that we wouldn't have this hate speech shit. Come, come on, they're the first people to throw it back at you and make a joke. I find it such an insult to people to say, oh, we've got to protect you with the law because it might offend you. I want to offend everybody, but not all the time. I don't want to insult them. I don't want to demean them. What's the difference? Oh, there's a huge difference. If you, if you offend somebody, you're rattling their cage of opinion. I say something, you think, no, 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 I'm offended because I don't think that much. Well, great, rethink yourself. Who's wrong? Am I wrong? Are you wrong? Fine, I can adapt. When, when somebody is upset, I saw this happen. There's a comedian in South Africa who I remain, remain nameless, uh, who do, did his one-man show, and I know that he does. He picks on people in the front row, so I sat at the back. And he did. He picked on this woman in front row. He said, oh, God, look at your hair. You can't come to the theater like that. You must be ashamed of yourself. On and on and on and on. People laughed, people laughed. At interval, I saw this woman in the foyer crying. It was a wig. She had chemotherapy. She'd just come out of hospital. This was her first night out on the town. And I went to him after the show. I said to him, do you know what you did? He was so mortified. I said, it's too late. We've got tremendous power. We can do terrible things on that stage. Look at Trump, the power he's got. Just be doing that and just playing silly buggers with everything. So that's the difference. That's the difference. I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to make people feel small or pick on them. Um, I want equal opp opportunity offense if necessary. So if I'm going to do the left, I want to also do the right. Um, Peter Dirk, when you uh, changed to become an ANC member, I'm talking about Evita Besaid and Hope now, mm. she had the privilege of a 30-minute interview 
or you had the privilege of a 30-minute interview with Nelson Mandela. Yes. That's his 100th year this year. Yes. His uh, great celebration, I was at South Africa House mm. last night, where his food was being explained to the British people by his, uh, his, his chef and his warder was there, etc. Mm. You got close to him, mm. I suppose, you, as close as many people would, in front of a camera, uh, in a different persona. How are you thinking about the way the world is now looking at this icon, and, and how did you see him? He changed my life as he changed all our lives. I mean, first of all, I, 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 my job was gone. My body's gone. There's Nelson Mandela. How do I make fun of him? It's like doing Mother Teresa with a dildo. I mean, I can't do that. And yet his great sense of humor inspired me immediately to carry on. And there I had the new costume, which was the ethnic shirt. And there was, oh, yeah. And he just loved Evita. I met him for the first time just before the election in 1994 in retreat of all places. The ANC were having a, a meeting because Madiba had said at some stage, oh, if you don't vote for the ANC, we will know. And somebody said, you can't say that because it's supposed to be secret. So they had to have another thing to actually stay. And um, Alan Busak was in charge of the ANC in those days. And he phoned me and he said, bring Evita. Uh, Nelson Mandela wants to meet Evita. So I thought, okay. So I took Evita in her orange, white, and blue Fuertreka rock. And he wasn't there yet. So I was, I was quite disappointed. And Alan Bursley said, no, go entertain them. I thought, Christ, there are about 40,000 people here in this thing. And out comes Evita. And, I mean, she was being who she was and saying, gosh, I didn't know I'd see the ANC here because it's in retreat, but maybe that's a good sign for the National Party for the election. And the orange moment. And they just loved her. They just loved her. It was this wonderful. I suddenly thought, my God, I'm passing this audition. It's, it's working. Then I thought when it was over, I can now change. No, 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 said Nelson wants to meet Evita. I thought, oh, Christ, now I've got to sit with, I've got to now act this woman. I mean, I've got, you can't just sit there as me. You know. and I remember sitting there, and he had arrived. You could hear the, the, the excitement. And there were some kids with balaclavas, little bad boys. I did, hey, psst, met him, met him. <laughs> Yeah, catch. And they threw sweets for you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> sweets. That's how bowl full of sweets my mind. So, uh, 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 Trevor Manuel's little kids, two, two little boys, they came. And they stood looking at me. Are you a man or are you a woman? I said, Go and ask your father. <laughs> Trevor said, Oh, please. And there's Nelson comes on the stage. And I mean, it was so emotional. And there he was like, oh, and shaking hands. And everybody, everybody was like this. And I stand there like Dora did draw in this bloody dress. And he suddenly looked and said, Oh, it's Evita. Kudum, kudum, hugs. And she gave him cook sisters. And then I had to sit next to him, hold his glass of water and his glasses. It was like Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan. Crazy. And therefore, I mean, had an enormous amount of demand. You know, oh, Petra, this is Nelson Mandela. Bring Evita. I need her on Friday. And there she would have a 50 minutes of fame. And the world was there, as you can imagine, from Oprah Winfrey to Bono to every Queen of Holland and Nelson being the leader of the laughter. Every time Evita said things like, oh, I've got my four little grandchildren, but I can't see them in the dark. Of course, Oprah didn't laugh at all until Nelson Mandela nudged. <laughs> and one time, I think it was the 20th time that I was standing next to him, just as Evita. And very seriously, I mean, I mean you know, Evita just always got to be real. I want the women to recognize the woman and the men forget, to forget the man. And he always treated her like a lady, always. And I said to him, Pastor Mandela, every time you see me, I'm dressed as a Vita Poseidon. He said, don't worry, Peter, I know you're inside. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, celebrate this wonderful 
this wonderful... Again, let's go back to sense of humor. He used a sense of humor to change the world, not just South Africa. Somebody one day will do a thesis and get a degree on the way he used humor. Coming out of 27 years in jail and forming a government with the people who locked him up, that shows a sense of humor. Wearing the rugby jersey, sense of humor. Having all the wives of the cabinet, the, the, the prime ministers of the apartheid government to tea, when he was present, he poured the tea for them. Going to Mrs. Favurt when she wouldn't come to him. In Orania, no. In Orania. <laughs> and there was this wonderful moment. It was on television. He was up on the hill behind the house where the only statue of Hendrik Favurt is. It's a small one because they haven't got that money. And there's Nelson Mandela on the statue. And he said, oh, Hendrik Favurt. I didn't know he was so small. <laughs> diffusing, diffusing, diffusing mm. the tensions, which we are not doing. Mm. We are not doing. I mean, the K word. Mm. For God's sake. Mm. Come on. You know, a stupid woman who used it 48 times, it's a recital. Mm. Mm. You know, two years in jail, while Malema says we're not going to slaughter the bikes yet, the bites yet and it doesn't make sense. So that is not working out because people are still too confused about exactly what they're trying to protect. Um, and Mandiba was terribly clear about what he was protecting. He was protecting South Africa for everybody. And look what he did. I don't think he was a very good politician, but he was a great statesman. And Tabo, of course, was the politician. And Tabo, he knew what he wanted. Cyril was supposed to be the next president. Well, I thank God he's there now because we need him more than ever before. But Tabo was another story. When Tabo suddenly announced that HIV doesn't lead to AIDS, then I realized I had found my next virus. The first virus was apartheid. The second virus was Mbeki. And that's where we've started fighting. That's when the gloves were off. The white mouth. The black ear? No, the gay man and the straight man. No, it didn't. It, it, the color wasn't in it. Uh, it was just, it was just, you're wrong. You can't say that. It's, it's nonsense. You're talking nonsense. People are dying. People are dying. And it's not just Tabo and Becky. I said, what about, what about all of you standing around him? Do all of you agree? No, now they say, no, we didn't agree. Where the hell is your voice? Mm. Have you seen, by the way, have you seen The Death of Stalin, the movie? Not yet. Please, please, treat yourself to owning it. And that is exactly, I'm going to send a copy to, to, to uh, Cyril as a gift with the people around Stalin. Yes, yes, yes. And suddenly dead and like, oh, fuck, oh, God, oh, what, uh, what not. It was like the NEC of the ANC, you know. Um, but was it the same with, with, with Zuma? Oh, Zuma, there was nothing. There was no, there was no, with, 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 when, when uh, Nelson Mandela and those great warriors came out of those years at the University of Robben Island, knowing exactly how to handle the confusion and the fear, um, great sense of humor. I mean, I think the first big thing that Nelson Mandela did was invite Evita to the opening of Parliament dinner. And that was like amazing. He also invited Nico Karstens with a Bura Orkes. And then when, when he was overseas, Tabo as the deputy prime, uh, president, quite a few times invited me to come and do a cabaret for them in the, the, in the president's residence in Pretoria. And he would say to me, don't, don't, don't do easy things. Do us. Do us. We need to laugh at these things. We don't know these things, said I. Make me, make me laugh. Make us laugh. I thought, Jesus, this is fantastic. And he had the red ribbon, the AIDS ribbon. I thought, it couldn't be better. And I would do it, and they would all be sitting there, all ministers with me doing all sorts of things and then the first person to laugh was Tabo and he would stand up before. so I thought well fantastic then he became president and I never heard from him again I mean he just but that's what he did you know he you didn't, he just 
used and moved on. Um, and Mazuma, it was just ooh, toxic. It was toxic. I mean, the whole thing was just... Um, mm, and, yeah, I'm very glad we are where... Did you see the thing in the New York Times yesterday? A huge front page, page four story of the, the theft that has crippled our country and how it's mm. going to take a long time to get back to square one. And he's still there. We should have given him a one-way ticket to Dubai and saying, take what you took and go. But we didn't. Now he's going to be in court and he's going to destroy the people's faith. He's going to create a civil war, probably in KwaZulu-Natal. It's happening already. Bad, bad, bad. It's been described, South Africa, as a, as a vehicle that was going over a cliff. The first two wheels were over it. But fortunately, it was a four-wheel drive. So it could reverse back. That's you, nice. Do you I, like that? Well, I use that very often. I keep on saying, how many times have we in South Africa end, ended on the edge of the cliff and we just go, oh, Jesus Christ, we're going to fall. Oh, God, oh, no, please, please. And we open our eyes and the cliff is gone. And how many times the ANC said that? You know, and I have this in the show where Evita says, ach, the ANC, it's old. It's old. 104 years old. Usually you're on a bedpan and you've got a hot lung machine and you can't remember anything. You know, the ANC will investigate every cul-de-sac before they find the freeway. <laughs> and one thing that Evita now does, of course, is she says, when I became a member of the ANC, because my grandchildren said, Gogo, what are you going to do to protect democracy? So that one day when we need to vote freely and fairly, democracy will be there in full working condition. Well, obviously, I must get involved with active politics, which is literally us. And she said, and I must honestly say, when I walked into Lutuli House and signed up, I came in with all the prejudice that all of us shared, for a good reason, that everybody in the ANC is a crook, everybody steals. She said, yes, I can give you six names every day, but there are hundreds of thousands of members of the ANC who are not stealing, who are not crooked, who are sitting at their desks trying to keep our democracy more or less balanced, otherwise we wouldn't be here tonight, we'd be at the creation border with a pick and pay bag in our hands, mm. which is very true. We must not blanket them because of third-rate politicians with fourth-rate ideas. There are some very, very good people in all the political parties. But you see, we, the voters, white voters, voters, don't do our homework. We can't pronounce their surnames. Bad. We don't read the books about them, know nothing about them, have opinions about them. No, you've got to do your homework. You're a fifth-generation South African? I think so. Never thought, never worked it out. Except I know that in 1791, we had a great-great-great-grandmother who tried, plied her trade on the road between Cape Town and Paul and her name was Wilhelmina Opklum. So nice there you are. <laughs> <laughs> For that trade. But what do you say to other fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth generation white South Africans who see the grass greener elsewhere? Well, then they must go. I said, it's your freedom. You're not running away, you're running towards. If you've got children, you've got to decide for your children. It's a, the village, the world has become a village. Don't even ask, go. But when you're there, don't moan. And don't tell me when I come with a show of optimism from South Africa, don't tell me that I'm telling lies, just because you know you shouldn't have left. But again, going to Evita, she says to the white audience, oh, there's many, my generation, all the old people from the space theater and all that. She said, you know, we whites are so lucky. We are totally irrelevant. Nobody cares about us. We can do anything, everything, to make this a better place. We don't need a tender or permission. If you're a, a retired teacher, get into your car on a Tuesday, go to the local school and help the kids with their homework. You won't understand a word they say, but you will encourage them to ask questions, and that's the A of the alphabet of democracy. So all those things I try to weave into my work, which is not the work of a satirist. Satirists take heads off. Satirist is the ISIS of 
comedy. You go, no prisoners taken. I don't take prisoners. I embrace them and go to bed with them. You know, I have to respect the fact that there, by the grace of God, go I. Um, I want to go back a little bit to go forward. During uh, Evita's time, during the, 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 the darkest hours of apartheid, you, you lampooned P.W. Boerter uh, to a large degree. Mm. Puck Boerter, I don't recall how, how, strong, how strongly anti-Puck you were, but, but I, I say this now because I'd love to get your insights into it. His son is an is a esteemed economist in South Africa, Rulof Boerter, mm. but his mm. grandson... Mm is one of Silicon Valley's brightest. Mm. He's a, 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 one of the partners, in fact, the senior partner at Sequoia Capital, which invested in Google, mm. Facebook, etc. So there's a line of intelligence that mm. comes back mm. there. Mm. Tell me about Puck. Well, first of all, Puck was Evita's boss when she became the ambassador in Papeti Kosweti. So, I mean, lots of fun was had there. And we spread the rumor that Puck Porter was having an affair with Evita Pesagnat. He started believing it. I used to get faxes. Eight-page faxes, handwritten from drunk opa. My liver ambassador, on and on and on. And so slowly but surely, I mean, Evita would write letters to Puck and Puck would write letters to her. And we then had a little interview for a British program, which was something he didn't enjoy at all because he, he knew that they would take him wrong. Um, and they did. Uh, because he was sort of apologizing for part and saying everybody does it, you know. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. Um, and then, of course, in Funny Galore, when I did these, these interviews, with, including Cyril Ramaphosa, where we caught Trout together, uh, she also interviewed Puck, and, um, and he took her down one of the mines because he was Minister of Mineries, and uh, oh, this was my bar, Evita, and all this. And they were like Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. And I've got, and he's become a very good old friend, and a you know, very bright man. Mm. A very bright, and he keeps on saying, you know, that I was the first person to say we'll have a black president in South Africa. And of course, I do him. I love doing him. You know, doing, you know my conscience is clear because I've never used it. <laughs> Does he, he have was, a sense of humor? Oh yes, very, very. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's the last of the. I keep on saying, you know, he's the old Renoster. When uh, we were Pivi Bota was a crocodile, and Puck is here on Oster, it's a whirring. The last year on Oster made a whirring. <laughs> now we get, um, in fact, this year at the uh, Wurtfies, they wanted to celebrate Nelson Mandela's 100th year. And so they said to me, uh, you know, you know what, would I like to be a part of it? And I said, well, listen, I mean, God, there are so many other people that can share things. Well, we want to talk to people about books and things they've written. I said, well, I, um, I've written an autobiography of Evita Besaidnet where she actually meets Nelson Mandela and he saved her life when, and then he was caught by the police and that's why he went to jail. Um, and, so, and, and, um, and so I said, what about Puck? And they said, that's a great idea. So we had Evita, Puck Boerta, uh, Milani Favurt, and another man whose name I've forgotten who wrote a book, a religious book about his experiences with Madiba. And, of course, Puck had a very intense relationship with, with Nelson Mandela. I mean, they, they talked deep things, like the Lieve in Die Welt Arbeiter. And there was Evita, of course, as well. And I, I just knew, let Evita come in late, let them first establish themselves as serious people, then she can quickly come in and kiss everybody and say she must go back to Parliament because things are, too many red berries running around <laughs> and stealing the vegetables. Um, are, we, are we right to be scared about those red berries? 
Don't be scared about anybody who is instinctively as clever as Malema. He's very sharp. He's very sharp. I don't think he's read Mein Kampf. I think it's too thick and a bit too thick for somebody who is not exactly somebody. And why should he read? He doesn't have to read. Nobody has to read anymore, unfortunately. They just tweet and then they believe what they tweet. Um, but everything he has said should have been said 20 years ago. Everything he says needs to be looked at very carefully. The land thing, very carefully. He knows exactly how to do this. He is as charming as hell. He can talk to liberals, white liberals, and have them eating out of the palm of his hand. And he can insult them the next time talking to black uh, radicals. And, and he's got a very, very clever team on his hands that also know how to demean Parliament and to actually do a Donald Trump on South Africa. Um, will he? If he can, he will. I just worry that he and the ANC will actually go into a coalition like Hindenburg and Hitler and that uh, Cyril, or maybe no longer Cyril because there are some people hot on his heels like Mabuza who is not good news for anybody that the president is the president of the ANC and the prime minister is Julius Malema like Hitler was the chancellor well then pack up darling and run for your bloody life because if we are being hunted one day like the Tutsis uh, hunted the, the Hutus nobody in the world is going to give a damn because everybody's being hunted at the moment so hopefully democracy will keep a balance um, let's see where the, 19, the 2019 election goes very very important election I think Cyril should actually call it for now because by then there's going to be such a fracture in the ANC because the Zoomites are in there chopping away. And um, so it's, it's we're in, we in, we in very, very much a thin, thin ice, thin ice, hope thin ice more than thin ice. But Malema, no, I keep a very sharp eye on him. Now, now in, my, in my work, I've got a little puppet, a little doll, Julius Malema, based on the, the Zapira cartoon, you know, with the eyes right there. And I've had wonderful fun because Evita found this little black baby in the in in the uh, the alley outside Lutuli House in the rain. She brought it in, and 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 he's very clever. He's very clever because we passed the Nedbank building and he shouted out and he said nationalisation. But what's she going to do with this little boy? What's she going to do? And, and her grandchildren say no. She must adopt him. And she said, well, she thinks that actually his father might be Jacob Zuma. Anyway, I've just played with him, and I've played with black audiences with him who love him. They just think it's the funniest thing. And even my Lema fans with red berries come and they say they want a selfie with the little puppet. So one plays. I mean, when they became the party in Parliament, and I knew that they were not going to get help with their office, um, I, I got a big box, a red rock box, and got red things for an office, red pens, red rubbers, red condoms, also everything there. And I took it. I, Vita should have taken it, but I thought, let's not ever do this. And I took it to Parliament, and I took it to their office. They were in the house causing ructions, and, and I left it as a present for the EFF, for for the... They didn't react, in, or there was nothing that came. So that was my test to see, do they have a sense of humor beyond themselves? And they don't. That's interesting, interesting. Um, so it's very interesting for me to just say, okay, let's see where we go with this. I mean, Cyril, of course, great one, because he and Evita caught trout together, and they, you know, so we've had lots of giggles in the past. But um, no, it's, listen, in 24 years, we've done some remarkable things, considering where we come from. We could have been Syria. I'm not saying that we aren't going to become Syria, but we could have been Syria. Do you feel that? Syria. Do you feel it, that? Listen, I, it, look, look what Mugabe did after 20 years. Mm. 
uh, it just takes one trigger finger on a bang and all hell can break loose. And Ramaphosa, who came so close to not winning, mm. did win, mm. lifted spirits, mm. but now the reality, as you mentioned the New York Times article, the reality of the, of the task the reality. ahead is... is and is and also the experience that we had far too long a honeymoon with Madiba. When we woke up with hangovers of joy, who the hell is this little man called Tom Mbeki? Didn't know who he was. And, um, and he also, he just also went his own way with his own dictatorship and probably was there as a reason for the rise of Zuma. I mean, Zuma was the tampon. Anything that can stop the bleeding, let's just pop him in there, you know. Um, and I think Cyril is a very, very astute leader. He knows, he understands the, the game of leadership. He didn't decapitate all the Zuma ministers. He changed all their boards. He changed their DGs. He took away their feet. Now they're doing this. They don't know where they Good. Nobody knows. The tweeters don't quite understand it, so there's no tweeting about that. And the fact that people are now finding it easy to hit Ma uh, Mandela is just so disgusting and puts them exactly where they belong. Rubbish. And we must just not allow them to get the upper hand. You described where I read it because there's so much written about you including a, a wonderful piece in the New Yorker um, which is not too many South Africans who, who feature in that way but you, you describe humor as a, uh, a means of mass distraction or a weapon of mass distraction. mass distraction now Warren Buffett talks about financial instruments uh, or the, the derivatives as weapons of financial weapons of mass destruction of destruction destruction it, it, I talk distraction you talk distraction yes you talk destruction yes at the <clears throat> annual general meeting of Omaha in Omaha this year he was asked what how do you want to be remembered and he said as a teacher mm. he also uses humor so there's a bit mm. of bit of the two of you mm. uh, some parallels mm. there you did want to study as a teacher mm. if I recall. yes I did I did. I had a wonderful teacher at school, Miss Nell, who, when I said one day I can't write a poem in, in English, I don't know how, I can't, Miss Nell, she said, yes, you can. You can do anything. If you believe in it and work towards it, you can do anything. But I got diverted on that day. Instead of going to that desk and signing in to do a teaching thing, I signed in to do a BA drama, and that's, I can't explain it. I think I followed a girl who was wearing a beret, and she had sunglasses on, and she had a cigarette holder, and I thought, what are you doing? She said, actress. I thought, God, I also want to look like that. I think that's why, that's, I don't, that's maybe how it happened. I don't know. So I think things have led me. I mean, I only, I'm only in Darling because I took a wrong turning in 1925. Okay. 1995, on the first Freedom Day, I thought I'll go to McGregor and have a look at it. Everybody said it was lovely. And I ended up in Darling. What a name of place. Where, where does it come from? It's after Sir Charles Darling, who was the governor of the Cape. And of course, it's Afrikaans. It's English for Scotty. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, so I have no reason to be in Darling. So that's, again, all these strange, strange coincidences. And so maybe things are meant to be. Maybe one has chosen the right choice every time there's a, every time there's a sort of a Y-front choice with two roots in your life. You just hopefully choose the right one. But, but do, you, do you believe that they're coincidences or do you believe I don't know. that the universe is... I don't believe... I don't know. That's too confusing. I don't know. I don't know. I just um, Keep it some hope... Yeah, I just, it, again, instinctive. Just, just something just says, this is like, a, there's, there's something nice here. This and how's life been like in Darling? Oh, I love it. Wonderful. And challenging. <clears throat> I mean, to be part of a community that is in real desperate need of help, um, unemployment, uh, alcoholism, drugs, violence, 
um, racism, lots of stuff. But no statistics. Everybody's got a name. That's the difference. Mm. You know who belongs to who. And we have got so much communication with each other. And the Darling Trust is my most important reality. Um, and we're in our 12th year of that. Um, and I can see the difference. I can see the kids who came out of our little school and went into their sub-A are miles ahead of any of the other kids. And that, to me, is the logic. Now everything must should be focused on three, four, five, six-year-old South Africans for their education, for everything, everything, everything. Yes, I know. Tertiary education, we must free education in universities. I hate saying this. It's too late. They haven't been taught how to read and write and understand and think. They have no idea what they want to do and what it is. And that's why they're so easily moved by uh, somebody with a red beret. Burning the libraries because they're not doing what I want them to do? Not so clever. Mm. But the little ones, they, what, they don't know what we're talking about when we talk about that. I can see them. The little ones, they come, they start off like this, like all children like this. And then within three months, they're up there and they, they, they're drawing. And, they, and I gave them a, 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 a bulb. I said, there's a globe. There's a globe. I said, I said Where, where's South Africa? There. I said, no, no, no. Yeah. I said, well, I said, no, no, South Africa's there. Uh-uh. Was how far we got to fall off the world. I said, no, man, that's South Africa. No, we want to be on top. I said, you can always be on top of the world. You just turn it around and Cape Town will be on top of the world. Yay! And it's just, that's it, that's it, that's it. I see leadership happening there in front of my eyes. I really do. Five young leaders could lead five countries. It just takes about 300 bright young people to become the leaders of the whole world. So what happens when a... A farmer comes to your show in Darling, comes to your theatre, mm. reminisces with, with all the, the old relics of a mm. project that mm. you've got on the wall and listens to you, mm. and you're optimistic and you, you're trying to lift his spirits um, in the way that you do. And he says, but I have, I have these fears. Is there anything you can say to someone like that as he's sitting having his brandy with you after this? No, I, I want to hear his fears. I say, what are they? And I think the more you talk about them, the thinner they get. It's because people don't talk about their fears because they're scared they might be saying the wrong thing. And the more you talk about it, you suddenly hear it and you think, mm, yeah, yes, 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 yes. And fears are always based on something that is fearful. But laughing at your fear makes it less fearful. It still is lethal. It can still kill you, but you know what it is. And I always say to people, fear will never be taller than you. But you look away, it becomes this high stable mountain, and the fear will kill you. You'll be frightened to death. A wonderful answer to that sort of idea was um, when the dressing room was there, and then the little the little um, uh, museum, the nauseam, all these pictures and the favorit and all this stuff. And I hear grandparents, parents, and children, grandchildren. I hear them, and they're going through talk, talk, talking, talking, and then I hear the grandparents. Die ouma nie op. Ach, papa, kijk. Wat is oma Hendrik? Oon is dokter. En dokter Malan. Oh, ek wil so. Oh, terribly emotional. Their children, the parents, say, ach, ma, pa, oe, die kut, ek kan hierdie, mense nie vat nie, haat hierdie goed, loop, 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 loop. And I hear the little girl. Oma, wat beteken whites only? Now that, very decent, Christian, old Afrikaans, 80-year-old oma for the first time in her life, has got to explain something to her beloved grandchild that she's never had to explain to herself. She took it for granted. That's the reason for that. 
That is, I have no agenda. I don't tell people what they did. I don't tell the people who, I don't even have the words architect of apartheid. Just have, what's that? What's that? If you don't know, it's okay. If somebody tells you, or maybe it's their opinion, you're, that's it. That's to me the excitement of that living little, it's a very living museum, nauseam. It's very important to have the nauseam. But then I've also got the balance of the ANC. All the letters I wrote to the Minister of the Police, I want to take my play, just like home, to Nelson Mandela. There is no such person under, there's no, I just, all of the, I never got a chance to do it. Um, and then the censorship stuff, and a lot of humour. There's a lot of laughter because of the madness. Now, you're in London. <clears throat> you like asking questions of people. You like to get people thinking. Are you getting South Africans who come to see you? Doubtless the audiences are, are, are full of, of uh, South Africans who are living here. Do you get them thinking about maybe going home, looking at their own lives? Well, in this case, I don't have much of a political chat because it's not about politics. But yes, great. Oh, I can sense my South Africans within the first minute because I use Afrikaans. The introduction is in Afrikaans. On the, the, I, I, I sing my boy soprano voice. You can hear where they are. Um, and I have many, but I've been thrilled to see that there is a big audience under 30 years old, which is really nice. And the Soho Theatre is thrilled to see that there's a very big audience of over 65s, which they don't usually get to this. It's a very young theatre, the Soho. Um, many, many of the people come to wait for me afterwards and say, you know, we, we're coming back to see our parents. We're going to come to the Peron. And, and everybody has got an emotion about the play, about the piece. Um, so it's been very nice. It's been very nice to meet old friends as well. What questions are you asking of them? Well, I'm not asking anybody in this show. I'm not asking questions. You're just sharing. Yes, it's a story. Yes, you saw. It's it's sharing experiences that they are also experiencing. I have a whole section about moving to London, living here, and studying here. Mm. You know, when how long were you here for? I was here for five years. Where I'm at the film school, 1969, and three of my friends at the film school were communists. I said, "Jesus, are you a communist?" They said, "Yes." I said, "Don't say it so loud." (laughs) They said, "You're a white South African." I said, "Yes." They said, "You should whisper." And how all those familiar poles that held up my roof just dissolved into candy floss. And they're also going through. I mean, everybody has to readapt to all sorts of things here. But I think it's much more, it's much broader now because it's okay. Um, was that the watershed in your life, coming here at that oh, stage? Oh, it was, it was. It was. Uh, uh, Having been, my mother gave me a return ticket to the Northern Hemisphere when I passed matric. She said, "Go and see where I come from," and that obviously was me for the first time seeing the world. And seeing Lawrence Olivier play Othello, I, I called him Lawrence Olivier. I didn't know how to pronounce his name, Lawrence Olivier. Um, but theatre, he really probably was the first adult wake-up call. Studying plays, studying relationships of people in drama through the centuries and then thinking is this the reality or is my reality going out of that door where I cannot even have a drink with those two friends of mine in the drama department because they are not white what is real here and that made me start thinking and start realizing that I I can't change it but I can break the law and I did I mean I didn't kill anybody but I slept with them and that was against the law and that's one story I tell in one of my shows, how in 1967 at drama school, a friend of mine had a birthday and we were both criminals because we were gay, but there wasn't a word for it then. 
and we had a party, and there were young colored boys there, young men, which was against, everything against the law, but we never thought about that. And then uh, the one young man said to me, um, do you want to come home with me? I said, oh, yeah. And we got in my car, and we drove. I, th- I, said, I really just said, let's go up Signal Hill. He said, are you crazy? Me with the car, and you in Signal Hill, I'll be killed by the police. Are you crazy? And so we start driving, and he said, keep going. And I suddenly thought, oh, hot, I'm on the bloody f- dro- road to the Cape Flats. I don't want to go there. And he said, no, turn right. And I turned right to me in Kenilworth. I think, oh, thank God. Kenilworth, and we stopped at the house, and this beautiful house, and he, and we now talk like this. And he said, shh. And he said, wait at the gate. And he went into a little shed, and candlelight. I thought, Jesus, he's the garden boy. And so there I was in the shed with the garden boy. And in the candlelight, when we took our clothes off, we had the same color. We both, there was nothing different. And the next morning when I woke up, I wake up because the sun is shining through the tin roof. Through our, and, wake up and, I see his, and he wakes up and he sees me and he says, Jesus, he says, Jesus, you're still here. You must go. I said, no, but man, I haven't got classes on the Saturday. He says, no, I've got to wash the cars. I've got to do the contract. It was a, the, the terror. He says, take your clothes, go, go, go. I said, nobody. He said, Master Peter. And I said to the audience, I can't really explain much about what it was like to live in those days. But if you want me to tell you about fear, I can keep you here for a long, long time. Um, So all those things, sort of one has to find frames to hang these sketches in, these realities, these emotions, these, um, not trophies, because they're not trophies, but the, I suppose they are blood clots that dry on, on something. Um, but you survive, you see, that's the whole story, you know, so, so you survive. <clears throat> when you look back on that, I guess one has to be optimistic, because we're a long, long way from where it, where it was uh, back in the, in the 70s. And the long, long way, but there are still moments where people, young people, have said, you cannot go out with that person because that person is not a Muslim. And what about that person? Is that person Jewish? And why do these people have such horrible things to say about Israel? We must, we must, we must take the, the minister of education in Gauteng and put him on suspension because he said to, Johannesburg is a friend of Israel. What are we talking about here? It's first of all freedom of expression, freedom of choice. Yes, you might not agree. We can have a discussion on it, what you think and what they think, and apartheid Israel. Well, yes, you know, there are some terrible comparisons which are totally uncalled for. It's like comparing Nazism and African nationalism. You cannot compare them. But one death of one person because of those two countries' policies is enough to make me angry for the rest of my life. So where does the optimism come from when you say you, you, you are optimistic about Well, I don't country? know. I just think being negative is too exhausting. I just, what's the point? There's no point in it. I mean, it's just, it just ends there. It makes you ill. Um, and it makes you... I haven't got time. I just, maybe, who knows, maybe when I reach heaven, it's based on the negative and I'll be sorry. I couldn't care. I couldn't be bothered. My year used to be 365 days. Now it's two days. It's today and tomorrow. And really today is just every inch of today must be absorbed and looked at and analyzed and enjoyed because if one doesn't really do it properly tomorrow, it's not going to have all the little 
that's only also farkas in your game, you know, it'll just not be the same thing. And that does help as well. Although, again, as a performer, I have to plan two years in advance. So I'm now planning 2020, but in pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was an hour with the inimitable South African iconoclast Peter Dirk Ace. And this has been the Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.